I want to invite you to a copy of God's Word this morning to the book of 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 will be some of our texts this morning. We're so glad you're here. I don't know about you, but when I see stuff like that, I want to get signed up, right? Oh, amen? <laughs> yeah, Aaron, you and I can go on. We'll go to Boca de Todos, buddy. Yeah. All right. <laughs> we had the opportunity to live in Panama for a little bit. Uh, we, we served with the International Mission Board and got to operate out of Panama. It was a great place to fly out of. And... Uh, just a beautiful country, beautiful people, a lot of need, a lot of need. And you will, uh, we will be blessed as a church uh, to go alongside and partner with these folks. They're some of the most loving, caring, passionate people I've ever been around. Uh, rich history, Panama and the United States. They love North Americans. They, they love us. They enjoy us when we're there. And so you, uh, you look forward. You look forward to getting to know them. And, uh, and being part of that, uh, that mission endeavor in our church. Well, have you found the passage this morning? This is First Thessalonians, Second uh, Thessalonians, sorry. Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. This is a letter that Paul writes to a church that he planted during his second missionary journey. You remember that Paul took... He took more than one missionary trip, and this is his second missionary trip. Writes this letter about 51, 52 uh, A.D., about 20 years after the return of Christ. And uh, so this is a, still a young church. It's still a growing church. It's still a learning church. This is a church that got excited about the coming of Christ. In fact, they got so excited that they kind of quit going to work. And they just wanted to sit around and said, man, he's coming any day. And, uh, and so they quit going to work. And so Paul had to remind them, you know, it may not be right today, so it's okay to go back to work. It's okay to get busy. Uh, but, you know, what a wonderful way to live, right? Just living every day as if today was the return of Christ, living up to date. And so that's what we find about this church. It's a beautiful story. It's a beautiful letter. Uh, he's writing from Corinth to this church. And to this morning, we're going to be, Nick asked me to share and look at our mission statement. And our mission statement here at First Baptist is very simple, and yet it's profound in many ways. We're going to love God, we're going to serve others, and we're going to make disciples. And so you could have written this sermon outline this morning. That's what it is. That's what we're going to be talking about. But we're looking at first, uh, Second Thessalonians. I keep wanting to go to First Thessalonians for some reason. And uh, you follow along as I read this passage. Paul and Silas and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren. As it is only fitting because of your faith is greatly enlarged. And the love of each one of you toward one another grows ever greater. Therefore, we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecution 
and afflictions which you endure. Will you join me in prayer? Father, we just come to you this morning. We thank you for your word. Thank you for this beautiful letter penned by Paul, inspired by you, that reminds us of how much you love your church. Father, thank you for the call on Paul's life as a church planner, as a missionary, as someone who had a vision of taking the gospel where it had not been preached and sharing the love of Christ to a world that is still in darkness. Father, I pray that uh, as this church was planted, that you would plant many more churches that would grow in their love for you, their service to one another, and Lord, the ability to make disciples. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Brenda and I had the uh, privilege of living on the Margarita Island. It was a hard place to be a missionary because every time you came back to the States and said, we are Perry and Brenda Walker, we're missionaries on the island of Margarita, you just got a kind of a laugh, just like that. And uh, like, right, yeah, that's where you serve. But it was a beautiful island of about 350,000 people off the coast. It was a province of Venezuela. And we went out there, and we lived in rent houses for the first years we were there. And in one of those rent houses, it had a very small backyard. It was probably the size about this area right here. And uh, we we had taken an avocado seed and planted it in the backyard of that little rent house. And, uh, well, uh, we had to move before that tree grew up. But, But for years, for years, we drove by that house... And in the back of that house was this beautiful, full-grown avocado leaf, just uh, avocado tree, just filled with avocados. And I was always amazed how something so small as a seed, a little avocado seed, could grow such a beautiful tree full of fruit. That's an amazing process. Now, I know what you're wondering, and no, we never ate one avocado from that tree. It just didn't happen. But it was a beautiful tree. And you know, in God's kingdom, so many times we see things like that. It starts small, but it has a large impact. We plant a seed, and it grows. <clears throat> and that's exactly what happened here in the, in the church of Thessalonia, in Thessalonica. You know, God is doing amazing work in our church and in our lives. And he's growing his church and he's maturing us in our faith and in our walk with him. And sometimes we can get discouraged. We think it's not happening on our timeline. It's not happening the way we think it's going to happen. But I'll just tell you that we can have confidence that God is working in our midst and that he is growing his church and he is growing us. In fact, Paul reminds us in the book of Philippians, in, one, in chapter 1, verse 6, he says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to its completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Listen, what Jesus starts, Jesus finishes. And he is at work in us, and it is a good work, and we can be excited about what God is doing. Well, Paul writes to this church. It's the church he planted on his second missionary journey. And he's so excited. He is is so pleased to be able to just praise them for the growth that he is seeing in them. He starts off and he says, I'm I'm just praying for you and I'm excited because I see that your faith is growing. Your love for God is growing. 
And then he says, I also see that every one of you, not just some of you, he says, every one of you is taking opportunity to love and serve one another, and it's abounding. You're getting better and better at it, he says. In fact, it's so good that when I travel around and I speak to other churches, I use you as an example of a beautiful church that is growing and serving God. I am using you to make disciples around the world, he's saying. You know, this little church started small, but it grew. This little pagan community, and it began to grow, and and it became a church that was an example to so many. How did that happen? What was the process? If we read the verse 3, we notice that it 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 began with their faith, And then it went to the love, the expression of love. That's exactly how it happened. First faith, then love. You know what? There is a, the truth is, there might be a a thousand different reasons for us not to be united here today. We could be divided over how we dress. We could be divided on where we live. We could be divided on how to raise our children, what kind of music we like or don't like what kind of preaching we like or don't like. Listen, there is a thousand reasons for a church to be divided. But there is one reason for a church to be united, and that is our common love of Jesus Christ and His love for us. It is our faith in Jesus Christ. And here we see this church was united because of that common faith in Jesus Christ. And the natural expression of that was their love for each other. Now, how does that work? Well, the way it works is, when I'm with somebody, with one of you, the Jesus in me sees the Jesus in you. I've traveled all over the world. I've met people in other cultures, other religions, and other, other, other cultures and other languages. And I get to meet Christians in other cultures. And it's amazing to be around a Christian in another culture. Sometimes you can't even speak the language, but the Jesus in you unites with the Jesus in them. It's exciting to feel that. We feel that with each other, right? And sometimes we're guilty. We take something that God has called holy and we call it unholy. Shame on us for that. We are to treat each other with respect because we have a common faith in Jesus Christ. And it is what unites us as a church, our love for God. That was the answer to Paul's prayer that he prayed in 1 Thessalonians 3. He said, I pray that your love for each other and your love for God would abound and grow. And that's exactly what was happening here. Our mission statement in our church, love God, serve others, and make disciples. It's not only a biblical recipe on how to grow a church, it's a wonderful process that God can use in my life and in your life to grow us and mature us in our faith. When we get active and become part of that, loving God, serving others, and making disciples, it will grow our church. And it will grow our faith and our love for God and our love for each other. So let's look at those just this morning. Loving God. Love God. I believe to love God is a meaningful purpose to life. What is your passion in life? What gets you out of bed? What gets you excited? 
Do you get excited every once in a while? You know, that's your passion. If it's something that you think about a lot, that you, you put your attention on, you put your resources and your talent and your, all of that too, that's your passion. If it's something that when it doesn't go right, it makes you mad, that's your passion. So what is your passion? It can be sports, it can be family, it can be your children, it can be a lot of things. But the Bible tells us, be careful what you make your passion. In fact, it says in, a, in, uh, in Mark chapter 8, he says, it says this, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? The writer warns us that we can make a passion out of something that is not worth giving a life to. So be careful. Jesus was approached one day and he was asked, So what do you think is the most important passion for life? What do you think is the highest calling for life, the greatest passion of life? And this is how Jesus answers. He answers in Mark chapter 12, verses 29 and 30. And Jesus answered him. He said, The most important is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord God is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. That was his passion. That's what got him out of bed in the morning. That's what made him excited. That's what he would resonate with him. Love God with all of your heart, your, emo your emotions. For those of you that have had children or grandchildren, do you remember the first time that you held that new baby in your arms and you looked down and you just felt something in your heart, an emotion that almost scares you? Because you can't imagine loving anything or anyone more than that. And for some people, that's the first time they experience that kind of emotional love for something. The Bible says we are to love God with that kind of heart. Love Him with your emotions. Love Him, it says, with your soul, all that that makes you who you are. I look out this morning, and each one of us is different. And we have personality, and we have experiences, and, and all of that. And, we are, and so we love God with who we are, not who we aren't. You know, I'm not asked to preach like somebody else. I'm not asked to live the Christian life. So I live who I am in God. I love God who I, as, as who I am, how God made me. It says to love Him with all of your mind. I don't know about you, but, uh, you know, in the hospital we call it COVID brain. COVID brain is when you've had COVID and now your brain isn't working uh, just quite as much as it used to be. It's hard to remember things. I don't know about you. I didn't get COVID, but I am sure that I've got COVID brain after a year of all that. And I've, my ability to focus, my ability to think is, is not the same as it used to be. I got bored. I got, I got where I got lazy with my mind. What am I putting in my mind? What am I allowing? What, am I focused on God's Word? Can I sit through a sermon without going to sleep? Or can I, can I love God with all of my mind? Learning about things. Learning about this world that God created. Learning about other people. And finding God in all of it and loving Him for it. 
Do I love God with all of my strength, our physical well-being? You know, I'm not the best at taking care of my body, but this body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And I'm to take care of that, and I'm to take care of this body. Do I love God with my strength? Do I love Him with my physical body? Or do I come to church so tired that I can't hardly stay through another service? No. We love God with our whole being. Have you ever in your life allowed God to take first place in your life? Is He your passion? I think we can start small and think big. Just like a seed in a tree that would be planted. We start small. We take a step of faith towards God. And listen, when we take a step before, towards God, He has the ability to heal our hurts. Those hurts are things that either somebody's done to us or maybe we've done to somebody. God can heal that. Maybe God needs to ha- heal our hang-ups and get us past that. You know, we've got some hang-ups about all this. And where did the Bible come from? How do I know there's a God? And we just get going on and on and on. And God has the ability and patience to set with us and lit us over our hang-ups. God can also get us over our habits. Some of us have bad habits and they're destroying our lives. And we're stuck. And we're stuck emotionally. We're stuck physically. We're stuck with habits. And some of us need to give that to God and turn to God in faith. And it will be a small act of faith, but it will have big, great implications. Because God will take that. He will heal that. He will give you eternal life. And God will change a world through you. I believe that. Amen? He uses us that way. Why do we love God? Why would we say that? It says in 1 John 4, verse 19, We love God because He first loved us. There has never been a moment before the foundation of the world, before time, before creation, God did not know you and know your name, and He loved you. My question is not, does God love you? My question is, do you love God with that kind of passion? That is the question. We are to love God with everything in us. God loves us. St. Augustine, the great teacher and prophet, teacher and theologian and preacher, he said it this way, God loves each of us as if there were only one of us. Can you imagine that? He loves us as if we were the only child, only one. So we need to love God. Here's what the Bible says about that. If you live your life without God in this life, you will live without Him in the next life. We are to love God. And out of that, we are to serve each other. Serve others. That's the second part of our mission statement. And it's a practical plan for a significant life. I don't want to have a successful life. I want to have a significant life. I want to make a difference. I don't care if I'm remembered or not, but I want to make a difference in somebody else's life. Now this afternoon, to next Sunday at 4, we're going to have a members meeting, and we're going to be talking about allocation of resources and time and all of those things. But really, ministry always comes down to just three basic questions. The three questions is this. 
What do I have? How can I give it? And who do I give it to? That's ministry. Look at these boxes down here. What do I have? How do I give it? And who do I give it to? All of ministry is about that. That's what we're going to be doing in that members meeting. We're going to be praying and talking and making decisions about what do we have, how do we give it, and who do we give it to. That is the essence of ministry. Jesus was out and he had been teaching all day long and the crowd was getting tired but they were listening. And the, the, the apostles came, the disciples came to Jesus, and they said, Jesus, listen, you've been teaching all day. It's, it's almost evening. These people are tired. Why don't you send them home and back into the towns and let them find a place for lodging and let them get some food? They're hungry. And then in, chapter, in, in Luke chapter 9, in verse 13, Jesus says an amazing statement. He says, you give them something to eat. The apostles look at each other and they said, Lord, there's, there's 5,000 men here plus all of their families. If we took, if we had a year's wages of money and went to town and bought bread with that much, all we would be able to give them is just a, is just a bite of food for each one of these people. There's so many of them. About that time, Andrew walks up, and he says, Hey, I've got this little boy here, and he's got five loaves and two fish. And Jesus says, That'll do. That'll do. Have everybody sat down in groups of 50, he says. And then Jesus takes that. He receives that gift, and he does something amazing with it. You know what? I believe that each one of you has been given something unique. As unique as five loaves and two fishes. That only you can give. But when you give it to the Lord, God, Jesus has the ability to do something amazing with it. Jesus receives the five bread and the two fishes. And he stops and he blesses it. And then he begins to break, break the bread, break the fish. And he gives it to the apostles. And as he's breaking and giving it to the apostles, they start carrying it out in baskets. And they literally feed the 5,000 men and their families. And everybody eats. And for the first time, maybe in their whole life, they are satisfied. It's like Thanksgiving when you slide back from the table and you think, oh my gosh, how am I going to eat one more piece of pie? You know? For the first time, they've experienced satisfaction like that. And then they took up some baskets. They had 12 baskets full when it was left. Listen, when you give what you have to Jesus Christ, he not only has the ability to satisfy a multitude, there will be enough left over for you. I find it very interesting that the people ate before the disciples. It's just the opposite of sometimes how we do. We use all of our resources, and when whatever's left, that's what we're going to give away. That wasn't how they did it. They gave it away. Look at the process 
that Jesus uses here. He receives it, he prays over it, he breaks it, and he gives it away. I don't want us to just run by that. There is something to be learned here about how God uses brokenness in our life to be a blessing. Where did the miracle happen? It happened in the breaking. Read it carefully. As he was breaking it and giving it to the apostles, they're carrying it out. The breaking. We all have brokenness in our lives. We have things that we think is our weakness. We think, oh my, God could never use me. I am broken. But that's exactly the kind of thing God uses. God takes our weakness and it becomes a strength in him. God takes our brokenness and he heals it and he uses us to feed a multitude with when we give it to him. And he blesses it and he breaks it. I remember reading a quote one time that says, Grapes only become wine when they are squeezed got to be honest with you. There's a lot of times I think, well, Lord, as long as you do the squeezing, it's the hand of God on me, then I'll live with it. But you know what I've found in life? Sometimes God uses other people to squeeze me. Sometimes people I don't even like. But that's how we become wine. That's how we become a, a, a fragrant offering to the Lord to be poured out. God uses our brokenness, our uniqueness, what makes us special, And he uses it in the ministry. He uses it to touch others. What you see as a weakness becomes what God uses to bless others. The the, the multiplication, the miracle of the multiplication happens in the breaking. I wish we could just store up enough money, get some compound interest, get it going, and we'd have enough money to reach the world. But that's not how it's going to work in the kingdom of God. The way it works in the kingdom of God, every time we divide it, every time we break it, then there's enough. But if we hoard it, hang on to it, manage it, it'll never be enough. Give it away. God will always outgive you. There will always be enough to, to minister to yourself. Our ability to serve God and others is not based on our past, good or bad, but on our faithfulness today. One of the key issues is how do we become a way for that to happen without being in the way? It's one of the challenges of ministry. We start small and we think big. Start small like a shoebox and think big. Somebody's life, some child's going to be touched by that. They're going to read that. Who knows? Maybe, Maybe there's some preachers and missionaries in there. And they're going to change a country. They're going to change a world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We start small and we think big. What do you have that you can give that would be of service to others? How can you give it? Who is the person that you can help? Who is someone you can comfort? Who is someone you can encourage and inspire today? Think small. Start small. Think big. Our last one is make disciples. We want to make disciples. And it's a proven strategy to leave a legacy. Today, right here at First Baptist Church, we stand on the shoulders of so many 
who have been faithful in leaving a legacy of faith of their lives, and we're here today because of it. We didn't just start this stuff. People were faithful preaching and teaching and making disciples before us, and that's why we're here this morning. It is a legacy of faith. I have to ask myself, will my life be a legacy? Will people stand on my shoulders someday and look past the horizon? How am I living my life? You know, one of the greatest things you can do if you want to live, leave a legacy of your life is be, make disciples. Just make disciples. It will outlive you. But you can't give what you don't have. To be a disciple maker, to make a disciple, you've got to first be a disciple. You've got to walk with God. You've got to serve Him. And the fundamental of block, building blocks of the kingdom of God are relationships. I wish I could tell you it's strategy, or budget, or planning, or it's, uh, it's, it's uh, all those other things, but it's not. The basic building blocks of the kingdom of God is relationships. You know, that's why we still send missionaries to other countries to share the gospel, because they have to have relationships with those people. That's why some of us need to get on a plane and go to Panama, to Bocas de Toro, and build a relationship because that's the building blocks of the kingdom of God. If we could just send them money, if we could just send them a box of Bibles, if we could just send them some things and they would get it and that'd be the done, then it'd be done. It'd been done a hundred years ago, but it can't be. It's through relationships. Sometimes we've got to get skin to skin, face to face, setting down in front of each other and sharing Jesus Christ. That is how we make disciples. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. It's such a familiar passage. And Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now just stop right there. <clears throat> if you think there's any question that Jesus Christ has the authority to command change in your life, spend some time right there. It's not a suggestion. He's just not a good guy that's like, hey, if you want five ways to live a productive life, here's one of them. No. He is all authority in heaven and earth have been given to Jesus Christ. And this is what he says with that. Out of that authority, go. Go. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you even to the end of the day. Our Master, our Lord and Savior, has commanded us to go. You need permission to stay. The mandate, the command is to go. You need permission to stay. You know, sometimes we convince ourselves that Jesus surely is not wanting us to make adjustments in our life. Look how successful I am right here where I'm at. Surely he wouldn't ask that. And yet, Jesus says, go. That is his command. It's interesting. Brenda, this morning, read first uh, Acts 1, 
the passage out of Acts 1. And it says, You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost. These passages teach us that that's not about just getting on planes and traveling somewhere. It, it actually is as you are going, as you're living your life. If you live in Jerusalem, if you live in Enid, make disciples in Enid. If you live in your Judea, here in Oklahoma somewhere, make disciples where you live. If you go to Texas, God forbid, and you make, you make disciples if you live there. If God takes you to another continent, when you live there, you make disciples. That's what he's asking us to do. As you are going, make disciples. You remember the little game we used to play when we were kids? How we do it? And uh, Simon Says, remember that? Simon Says, touch your nose. Simon Says, touch your chin. Simon Says, touch your ear. Touch your elbow. Well, it didn't get anybody this time. What a fun game of following the lead of somebody else. And that's a game, but making disciples is no game, and yet it's the same thing. We are to do what Jesus did. We are to follow Jesus. And he has commanded us to go and make disciples. You know, when I was a kid, and my mom told me, Perry, go clean your room. If I told my mom, oh, mom, what a wonderful idea that is. In fact, let me just write that down. I'm going to put it in my journal. Clean your room. I'm going to pray about this. In fact, tomorrow when I'm at school, I'm going to get a group together, and we're going to study about cleaning our room. And I, I, I just love everything about it, mom. That's a great idea. And I'm, I'm just going to pray about it, think about it. Do you think my mom would get happy with that? What was she expecting? She was expecting for me to obey and go clean my room, right? Listen, making disciples is not just getting in small groups and talking about it. Making disciples is just not praying about Maybe we should do that or not. Making disciples is not just writing it in our prayer journal and thinking about it every once in a while. We are to just do it. And making disciples is so simple as following Jesus, and inviting others to come with you on that journey. And Jesus has commanded us to go and make disciples. We need to start small and think big. We can send a shoebox. We can pray a prayer. We can read a handout about a place like Boca de Todos and start praying every day. Maybe we can start giving and supporting and, 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 and helping with our resources and our time and our talent so that that would happen. Maybe there's some in our church that need some help and they, we need to help send them to do some things like that. Maybe some of you need to get on a plane and go. And God is calling you from wherever you're at to where you need to be to be in the center of God's will for your life. And we need to help that happen. It's a simple start, but it has great big implications. When we were on the island of Margarita, we not only planted a tree, 
We planted our lives on the island of Margarita. We planted a church, and that church went on to plant other churches, and they planted other churches. That's how you know when something's healthy, right? When it multiplies and has fruit, and that fruit produces more fruit. That's when you know you're getting it right. And that was only possible. That was only possible. Brenda and I think about those years, and we are so grateful that we got to be the ones that go. But that was only possible because some of you prayed. Some of you gave. Some of you sent. And some were willing to go. That's how simple that is. We start small and we think big. God can change a world through you. You know, you can't be a follower of Christ. You can't be a Christian just hanging out with Christians. You can't, you can't be a Christian just because your wife's a Christian. You can't be a Christian just because your parents were Christians. You can't be a, a disciple because, just because you hang out with disciples. You can't live the Christian life on someone else's faith. If that was true, I work in a hospital every day as a chaplain around doctors. If you want to come see me this afternoon about your next surgery, let's go talk. That's about the, how silly that is, right? Don't let me do surgery on don't get it by osmosis. You don't get it by hanging around with other people who do. You get it when you start small and take a step of faith to give your heart to Jesus Christ and it changes your life. And you become part of the kingdom of God and the work of God. You get it when you start walking with Jesus Christ as a disciple and then God starts making disciples We're just going to pray. Father, you just come to us this morning. We thank you, Lord, that we can take small steps of faith and that you will take that and you will make an impact in your kingdom through and for us, Lord. Father, thank you for our church. Thank you for our mission. Thank you for your word. And Lord, we pray that, Father, if, uh, if there are those here this morning that need to take a step of faith, and receive you as their Lord and Savior, Lord. I pray that you would just touch them at this moment, that they would find healing for their hurts, their hang-ups, and their habits. Father, that you'd help us become a disciple and so that we can make disciples, Lord. Father, we give all of this to you. We anticipate what you're going to do in us and through us as a church. We begin to pray for Bocas de Toro in Panama, and pray that you open those doors, Lord, and that we see many souls come to salvation. In Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Nancy, you come and lead us.